Yeah, so I, um, some of you know, I know probably at least half of you, and I see some familiar faces and all that. And uh, so about seven years ago, I was working for the state of New Jersey, as I had done for many years, and I had a British passport that the Lord enabled me to acquire some years before that because my mother was from England. And uh, so the Lord actually opened the door for me to go overseas. And uh, I spent a year in Austria. Calvary Chapel has a a facility there in uh, beautiful Milstadt, Austria. And so the Lord called me there to serve for a season. And every, it seemed like every time I turned around, I was running into Pastor Dave Sylvester, who pastors the church in York, England, and heads up the Bible college. So in the fall of 2015, he invited me to go from Austria to England to be involved with the church and the ministry there. So it's been seven years, and, you know, sometimes I think about Peter and the Lord called him out on the water, and there is a lot of potential danger and that sort of thing, and, you know, the, the, you look about, you look at the future and what is your security going to be and all that sort of thing. Well, I would say that the safest place that you'll ever be is in the heart of God's will. And he'll take care of all, of all the details. If you hear his voice and you follow him in faith and he will do things in and through your life. So um, six years in England now and, you know, sometimes it feels like walking on water. Sometimes it feels like, wow, am I going to make it? And then the Lord is always faithful. He knows where we're at. He knows how much we can, you know, endure and all that. And so it's been one of the great blessings of my life to be in York. Um, the Bible college is really the primary thing that I do over there. We had COVID hit, as it did everywhere else in the world, about a year and a half, actually two years ago. And uh, so that semester, the spring of 2020, we shut things down about halfway through. We had to send the students home and we finished online. We've actually been able to do every semester since then in person. And the Lord has really blessed it. We've just, you know, it's been a few weeks before the semester and we've just get together as a a staff and just pray like, Lord, do you want us to do this? What happens if a wave rips through and and it's just going to get messy and all that? And, but it didn't. And it seems like anyone who gets COVID, it seems to be like in between the semesters. And just the Lord's grace has been upon it, and he, he's, doing a, just a, he's doing a good work. And he's doing a good work all around the world. The Holy Spirit is on the move, and he's doing things everywhere. I know he's doing things here. And uh, so it's exciting, and it's a great blessing to serve the Lord, and I'm thankful to be able to do what I do. So uh, in addition to the Bible College, we have the, the Humber Prison, and so when I moved to York, I got involved in the prison ministry within, really, the, I think it was the first week that I was there. I was invited to go into the, the prison. We do a monthly service there. We do worship and uh, a, a message from the scriptures, and then we pray with the guys and all that. And um, so that's actually been closed down most of COVID, but we were able to restart that this past October. We, we went in October, November, and uh, December. And in December, we actually took a group of students. We took 15 people in from the church and the Bible college students, and we went Christmas caroling through every wing. There's 16 wings in this prison that we go to, HMP Humber Prison it is. And, you know, the the Bible tells us that we are, in Corinthians, we are the fragrance of Christ to those who are perishing and to those who are being saved. To the one, we are the, the reminder that they're headed in the wrong direction. But to the believers, it's the aroma of Jesus Christ 
and it's his presence. So just, we were just this band of people just singing, you know, scripturally based Christmas carols, walking through the prison. It's just a wonderful thing. <clears throat> and um, yeah, so I'm also involved in the church and the worship leading rotation. And um, I always tell I always tell people that I don't have the gift of evangelism because if you know me, I'm introverted, introspective, and all that sort of thing. I don't like to initiate conversations with people. I'm just not good at it. It's just the way that I am. But the Lord has a way of bringing people across my path, and probably more so, he did it a little bit in the States, but since I moved to England, England is a very pedestrian society. There's people out, like, walking around everywhere, and it seems like the Lord always brings people across my path who initiate a conversation with me, and I'm able to share the gospel with them. And I'll I'll share um, just one story before we get into the message. And so the Lord sometimes uses things, you know, our own personal desires and, and things, and he has all different kinds of ways that he uses to intersect our path with other people. And so in England, we have a, a website, it's called Gumtree, it's kind of like Facebook Marketplace, and I was looking for this particular um, guitar, and I found this advert for a guy who was selling a guitar in North, um, what is it, at Darlington, it's actually the north, about half an hour north of York. And so I contact the guy, I sent him a message, and I said, I'd like to check out this guitar. So I go up there, he invites me over, I go up there in a, a little village outside of Darlington, just little... English village with stone cottages and all that sort of thing. And <clears throat> so I'm there and, I, and I'm checking out this guitar. I'm just sitting on his couch. I'm just like playing it and that sort of thing. And it turns out he's, this, he's a very interesting man. His name is Dom. He's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu instructor. And I started, my accent is always the first thing that gives me away. Oh, you're not from around here, people say, because I have this, I don't know whether it's a Philadelphia or South Jersey accent, something like that. And so it always gives the game away. And so, so yeah, I, so I, I teach at a Bible college in York, and that gets things rolling, and I start to share the gospel. So I'm just sharing the gospel with this guy, and it turns out that he was, so I, years ago in the 1980s, I was in um, the American Army. I was in field artillery stationed in Germany. It turns out that this guy was in the British Army, in field artillery stationed in Germany in the 1980s also. I had spent some time in in Hungary 20 years ago teaching English. It turns out that he was actually ethnically Hungarian and his family moved to England after the, uh, there was a, a attempted revolution in 1956. And after that, a lot of Hungarians emigrated to the United States and to England and other places. And his family was among those. And we're just sitting there and I spent like two hours just talking to this guy, and I shared my testimony with him, how I came to know the Lord. And I'm just like kind of like, you know, playing just a little finger picking and all that and just sharing the gospel with him. And so after about two hours, I, I left. And I said, you know, I don't, I'm not going to buy it right now, but I'll think about it. And so I think it was the next day he sent me a text saying, sorry, the guitar sold. So I... um sent him a text message, and I said, okay, no worries, it was a beautiful guitar, but there you go. Glad we had the chance to meet. It seems like we had some things in common, field artillery, Germany, Hungary. I hope you consider Christ as a valid way to make it through this life and into the next. 
Blessings, Paul. And then he responded like five minutes later. He sent me this text, and I'll read it. It says, I do think about it, probably because there's so many awful things to see. If he's there, I'll happily accept him. And I invited him to church. I never saw him again or anything like that. But I was, um, I was just thinking about how God, through a personal desire, I was looking for you know, the, the perfect guitar, which doesn't exist, I'm convinced. And, but God used the personal desire of mine to bring me into the living room of this guy in an English village in the north of England and just sharing the gospel with him for like two hours. And it was just something that only the Holy Spirit can set up. And I say all that because God wants to do stuff like that in your life. Ephesians is a 2.10. We are his workmanship, created for good works in Christ Jesus, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so this is just like one example of the things that God does in my life from time to time. And, you know, this random person who was at a point in his life where it seems like he was open and seeking and God just brought me into his living room and here's the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the thing that you are missing in your life. And so God wants to use all of us. You know, everybody has, you know, to each one, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And not everybody has the same kind of deal going on in their life. Not everybody has the same gifts and whatever, but we're all very unique. We have a very unique personality. And there are people that you can reach that I can't reach. And there are people that I can reach that you can't reach. And so you never know how the Holy Spirit is going to work in your life. And he just wants us to be sensitive and open to these, um, to these things. We don't have to try to be something that we're not. There's nothing worse than, than like imitating. I mean, Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ, but there's nothing worse than trying to be like another Christian because you like the way that they operate or whatever. God wants us to be who we are, but the redeemed version as we're filled with his Holy Spirit and we'll see him do good things. So, um, yeah, so that's just a little bit of the kind of the backstory. I'm here for a couple of weeks. I'll be heading back on the 25th to, um, to York to resume things over there. I was blessed to be able to go to a, a missions conference in California this past week. So my body's stuck in a few different time zones and I got the whole travel kind of dehydration or whatever going on. I don't know. So, um, yeah, so we're going to be in Judges this morning. Judges chapter 11, if you want to turn there. And I'll turn there. And we'll just pray. So, Lord, yeah, I thank you that you're on the move and that there are good things that you want to do in each one of our lives, Lord. I thank you for your word that you've given us the scriptures, you've given us this account. And so we pray now, Lord, that you would open the scriptures, that you would open our understanding, that you would speak to each one and that you would give the application to each one. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, so Judges um, chapter 11, and the book of Judges, as I'm sure most of you know, covers a period of time in Israel from just after the death of Joshua to the time of Samuel, and Samuel was actually the last judge. And in the book of Judges, there's this repetitive cycle where God's people who are in a covenant relationship with him, they, they fall into unbelief and idolatry, and then God has to judge them 
and he generally uses en- enemy nations. And then the people turn <clears throat> and cry out to the Lord, and God sends a deliverer or a judge who defeats Israel's enemies, and then the cycle starts over again. And so the book of Judges is, is really a dark period in Israel's history, but it also includes many heroes of faith, some of whom, if you read Hebrews chapter 11, their stories are, are commented on in Hebrews 11. And so today what I want to do is I want to look at Jephthah in Judges 11. And sometimes when we think about Jephthah, his account is overshadowed by this rash oath that he makes as it pertains to his daughter. And sometimes that actually obscures the the greater lesson, I think, that we see in and through his life. So I'm not really going to talk about the oath and, and that kind of foolish thing that he does there, but I want to look at some of the lessons that we can learn from his life. And if you think about Jephthah and David, there are actually a lot of similarities between their lives. Jephthah was, uh, as we'll read in a minute, Jephthah was rejected and exiled by his brothers. David was rejected by his brothers and basically exiled by King Saul. He was forced to live outside of the the territory of Israel. Both Jephthah and David took on an enemy that no one else was willing to fight. We know that obviously David took on Goliath, and here Jephthah's going to take on an enemy. Um, Both David and Jephthah had an understanding of the covenant relationship that Israel was under with Yahweh, and they both recognized that God would fight for them. And obviously David fought, or God fought on behalf of David, and we'll see that he does the same thing here on behalf of Jephthah. So they, they had an understanding of the, the covenant relationship. They had an understanding of their own heritage, of who they were in relation to the true and the living God. So let's, uh, let's take a look at the text. And actually, to get a little bit of context, I want to go to the end of chapter 10. And the children of Israel have just, as the cycle goes, they've just repented after a season of idolatry. And the Ammonites are now encamped on their doorstep, and they're ready. The Ammonites are getting ready to invade the land of Israel. And the Israelites have just repented, and now we're going to see what uh, God does. So verse 15, actually, of chapter 10, uh, it says, And the children of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems best to you. Only deliver us this day, we pray. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord, and his soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. Then the people of Ammon gathered together and encamped in Gilead, and the children of Israel assembled together and encamped in Mizpah. And the people, the leaders of Gilead, said to one another, who is the man who will begin the fight against the people of Ammon? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. And it's interesting that this question is asked, who is the man who will begin the fight? Because God is going to answer in not so many words. We believe that the answer is from him. God is going to say, well, Jephthah is the man. And it's interesting because what we, now as we get into chapter 11, there was this rejection and all that. And now it seems when the people of God are crying out, it's Jephthah, and the people are like, 
Jephthah, they're, they have to, I'm sure they have to be thinking, what do you, Jephthah, uh-oh, he was the guy that we sent headed south or north or whatever direction, north I believe it was. Um, so let's look at chapter 11, verse 1. It says, now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, but he was the son of a harlot, and Gilead begot Jephthah. Gilead's wife bore sons, and when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, you shall have no inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and dwelt in the land of Tob, and worthless men banded together with Jephthah and went out raiding with him. So you can see this definite kind of parallel with the life of David, the same sort of thing, this band of raiders. And so we have Jephthah, uh, his father was, um, it says Gilead, really what that means is he was a man of Gilead. Uh, We don't have his specific name, but he's referred to as Gilead. And so Jephthah's father was a man of Israel, but his mother was a prostitute. And it's unclear whether she was Hebrew or Canaanite. It's actually quite likely since she was a prostitute that she was a Canaanite. And so Gilead then goes on to have legitimate children through his wife. And when these sons grow up, they drive Jephthah out. And so here we have a picture of Jephthah. He's this illegitimate kind of stepchild who didn't really fit in. And he's pushed out of his home and he's pushed out of the life of Israel. And he goes to live in Tob, which is basically modern day uh, Syria or Aram, as it was back in the, the biblical times up in the north. And you know, think about Jephthah and the the painfulness of his situation. He didn't have anything to do with the situation, the circumstances of his uh, birth. It was just the way that life kind of fell out to him. It's the, the, the hand that he was dealt. And God is going to use the pain and the exile that he experienced to shape him and to prepare him for a future that he is yet unaware of. And you know, at this point, Jephthah is probably thinking that, well, I'm just going to live and die in, in Tob, and I have these band of raiders and all that, and this is just the way that it is. You know, I, I wish it was differently, but this is just the way that it is. But God is always working behind the scenes, and he always has a plan. And a great example, Psalm 105, just to, to, to mention Joseph for a minute, Psalm 105 says that the word of the Lord tested Joseph until the thing came to pass. And well, what does that mean? Well, Joseph had these legitimate dreams from the Lord about his brothers bowing down to him and about this position that God was going to bring him in in the future. And then he foolishly shares the dreams with his brother. Hey, guys, I had this dream. Check it out. And um, they don't like it very much. And he winds up getting sold first almost killed and then only getting sold into slavery. And we know the deal. He goes down to Egypt and it just goes from bad to worse to even worse to even worse. And he's forgotten and all that. But Psalm 105 tells us that the word of the Lord tested him until the thing came to pass. And so in the morning, he one day he was wearing prison garb. And in the afternoon, he was prime minister of Israel. God can do stuff like that. And the word of the Lord tested him until the thing came to pass. And so here we have Jephthah. And Jephthah, we don't know necessarily that he had any promises from God or anything like that. 
But he knew his heritage and he knew that he was of the people of God, although he had been, because of these circumstances beyond his control, he had been pushed away from his heritage. And he thinks, okay, this is just the way that it's going to be. And um, he has no idea that God is getting ready to open a door that is going to change the course of his life. And so what does he know? He does know the scriptures, and he knows the history of Israel, as we will see. And he still considers himself as an Israelite of God, even though he is on the outside of that. And he's a man who was prepared to walk through a door as it opened, as we will see. And, you know, God, um, I believe as Christians, we are to be in a state of readiness, even in the absence of an open door or a particular thing. Maybe we're praying about something and, and, and we don't know how it's all going to work out. But in those times, I believe that God wants us to be in a state of readiness because he's always working. He's always doing things behind the scenes. And maybe you're in a place in your life where you don't really know how things are, are going to work out. And you know you have this wonderful heritage um, in your life. You know you've been saved, born again, filled with the Holy Spirit. Yet it seems like things just... I don't, something's just not happening. Well, as you walk in kind of a state of preparedness, when you least expect that God is able to open a door, and maybe he has you in a place right now where he just wants you to trust him, and maybe the word of God is testing you until that thing come to pass. I, I don't know. I mean, it's a room full of people. I don't know, you know what you guys are going through, but I know that God is always doing stuff, and he wants us to be prepared to, you know, walk through that door when it opens. So <clears throat> Jephthah, yeah, yeah, the uh, Second Chronicles, here's a great verse, 16.9, you all know it. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. So God is looking for people who have a, a heart that's loyal to God, in, you know, the hidden and the mundane things. He's looking at our hearts, you know, the song, you're looking into my heart, looking into my heart. Well, he's looking at our hearts and he wants to show himself strong on behalf of those who have a heart that is after him. And Jephthah, in his exile, has a heart that is loyal to Yahweh in spite of what God's people and even his own brothers have done to him. And so on a day that he doesn't expect, God is going to give Jephthah an opportunity to step into something that's bigger than him and bigger than his personal life and all of kind of the drama that he's been living in. And on a day that he doesn't expect, all of a sudden a delegation is going to arrive from his homeland and they're going to say, hey, Jephthah, we need you. And so let's read on. Uh, in verse 4 of chapter 11, it says, And it came to pass <clears throat> after a time that the people of Ammon made war against Israel. And so it was when the people of Ammon made war against Israel that the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Then they said to Jephthah, Come and be our commander that we may fight against the people of Ammon. So as with David... Everyone else was afraid to fight Goliath. You know, if you think of the David and Goliath story, everyone wanted something to happen, 
but no one was willing to face the giant. And, and, but David understood that Israel was in a covenant relationship and that Goliath was uncircumcised. And what does it mean to be uncircumcised? Well, you're living outside of the covenant. You're just living your life with no kind of thoughts of God, whereas the people of God are in this covenant relationship. And David recognized that, uh uh-oh, Goliath is not in a covenant relationship with God. He has no protection from God. And so here, uh, switching back to Jephthah, it seems like there's no one in Israel who is either able or willing to galvanize a resistance against the king of Ammon. And then they remember Jephthah in their time of need. Evidently, he has a reputation as a mighty man of valor. And so what we see here is that God takes someone from the fringes of society and uses him to deliver his people. And God so often takes unexpected people. I mean, you look at the history of Calvary Chapel, especially in the early days. You know, I remember reading the, the Harvest book as a new believer and it's just, you know, maybe it's, it was a, a look at a dozen of the first Calvary Chapel pastors, and they were like ex-gang members, drug addicts, just um, mental patients, just all this, you know, just chaotic lives that the living God just crashed into and took those lives and redeemed them and used them for his purposes. And here, Jephthah, um, on the fringes of society, he says to the elders in verse 7, did you not hate me? and expel me from my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are in in distress? So the moral is be nice to people. You never know when you may need their help. And friends are always better than enemies. So the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, that is, oh, but that is why we have turned again to you now that you may go with us and fight against the people of Ammon and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So Gilead um, is basically a mountainous region east of the Jordan on the east side of the Jordan River. And it's the area that was divided among the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and and Manasseh, kind of modern-day Jordan, if you can imagine that on the the map. And so the elders of Gilead, they want Jephthah to go out and fight for them. And now they say, well, you know what? You'll be our head. You can be our head. You can rule over, over us. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, if you take me back home, and, and let's use the word home, if you take me back home to fight against the people of Ammon and the Lord delivers them to me, shall I be your head? Will I really be your head? And he has this idea of home, and he uses the word home. If you take me back home, and Jephthah wasn't at home in Tob. He, he recognized, you know, I'm out of the land of Israel. This isn't my home where I'm at. And so he's asking them for clarity about whether he will really be their head, their, their ruler and their judge uh, after the fight is over. And here's their response in verse 10. It says, and the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, the Lord will be a witness between us if we do not do according to your words. Then Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and the people made him head and commander over them And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord in Mitzpah. He spoke his words before the Lord in Mitzpah. So the Lord is kind of a witness to this deal that 
the uh, the men of Gilead are making with Jephthah, and it's 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 a solemn sort of thing that's happening. They have this ceremony where Jephthah is installed as their leader, and he immediately gets to work. He's not someone that that said yes, I will do it, and then has no idea how to kind of execute things. He immediately gets gets to work, and he has a plan in his heart. So the first thing that he does in verse twelve. Now Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the people of Ammon, saying, what do you have against me that you have come to fight against me in my land? So the first thing that he tries is diplomacy. He doesn't immediately muster an army to go to war. He engages the king of Ammon in a dialogue. Let's talk about this. You know, before we start cracking uh, each other's heads open, let's see if there's a way to kind of, you know, walk through this. And it's always easier to, um, it, it's really easy to escalate a situation. And sometimes it takes more skill to de-escalate and kind of get to the root of something. So Jephthah tries that first. He says, hey, wh- what gives? Why are you attacking us? And so the king of Ammon responds, and the king of the people of Ammon answered the messengers of Jephthah, because Israel took away my land when they came up out of Egypt from the Arnon as far as the Jabbok and to the Jordan. Now, therefore, restore those lands peaceably. So the king of Ammon is an enemy of the people of God. And I believe in in this context, he's a type of Satan. And I'll explain that a little bit. And he, he gives Jephthah this false historical narrative of their history. What does he say? He says, Israel took away my land when they came out of Egypt. So he has this kind of revisionist history that he's he's laying on Jephthah. He mentions the Arnon and the Jabbok. These were basically wadis on the eastern side of the, the Jordan River. A wadi is basically a stream bed that would channel water away. There's not a whole lot of rain in the Middle East, but sometimes when it rains, it, it really comes down, and they have these wadis that channel the water away. And so he mentions the, um, the Arnon and the Jabbok, these two geographical kind of markers. And he says, you know, Jephthah, all you have to do if you want to avoid this war is give up those lands peaceably. And, you know, how do we apply that? Well, it seems that when we're moving forward in the Lord, in our own lives, and kind of taking possession of the things that God has for us, Oftentimes, that's when the spiritual battle tends to heat up. If if God has maybe put his finger on something in your life and you decide to act on that in faith, then oftentimes that's when spiritual warfare kicks up in a variety of ways. And so here, you know, Jephthah, if you want to avoid the war, give up the land peaceably. Just give it up. And and so he tries to, the devil tries to get us to give up things that God has legitimately given to us and that he has no claim to. If, if Jephthah wasn't that sharp, he could have stood there and maybe like scratched his head. Well, golly, okay then, since you put it that way, just take the land and we'll, you know, avoid this war. We won't go through the warfare that is involved in maintaining a possession that has been given to us by God. You know, Peter says his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And God would have us to walk in the fullness of 
everything that he's given us, his Holy Spirit and the gifts that he's given us. So Jephthah is sharp. He does know the scripture, and he knows the history of Israel. He's read about the exploits of Moses and the children of Israel coming out up out of Egypt as they were led by their God. So what does he do? He sets the record straight uh, against this false historical narrative of uh, the king of Ammon. And so he sets the record straight with the facts and he delivers a very sophisticated and knowledgeable response. He knows the word of God, so he's able to give an appropriate answer to someone who's coming against him with a lie about who he is and about who uh, the people of God are. So verse 14, so Jephthah again sent messengers to the king of the people of Ammon and, and said to him, thus says Jephthah, Israel did not take away the land of Moab nor the land of the people of Ammon. For when Israel came up from Egypt, they walked through the wilderness <clears throat> as far as the Red Sea and came to Kadesh. Then Israel sent messengers to the king of Edom saying, please let me pass through your land. But the king of Edom would not heed. And in like manner, they sent to the king of Moab, but he would not consent. So Israel remained in Kadesh. So basically they were refused permission to pass through the lands of both Edom and Moab, and they acquiesced. They acquiesced. They said, okay, that's fine. If you don't want us to take this uh, route through your land, that's okay. We're not going to push it. And so verse 18, they went along through the wilderness and bypassed the land of Edom and the land of Moab and came to the east side of the land of Moab and encamped on the other side of the Arnon. But they did not enter the border of Moab, for the Arnon was the border of Moab. Then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, king of Heshbon, and Israel said to him, please let us pass through your land into our place. But Sihon did not trust Israel to pass through his territory. So Sihon gathered all his people together, encamped in Jahaz and fought against Israel. And the Lord God of Israel delivered Sihon and all his people into the hand of Israel, and they defeated them. Thus Israel gained possession of all the land of the Amorites who inhabited that country. They took possession of all the territory of the Amorites from the Arnon to the Jabbok and from the wilderness to the Jordan. So this is the land in question. They, the Israelites requested permission to pass through the land of Sihon, king of the Amorites, and he not only refused, but as we know, he came out and attacked the Israelites. And as a result, the Lord God of Israel delivered the land in question into their hands. So the land had formerly belonged to the Amorites, not the Ammonites. And so it's this kind of false historical narrative that the king of Ammon is, is coming against the people of God with. And so the great verse 23, and now the Lord God of Israel has dispossessed the Amorites from before his people Israel. Should you then possess it? Wow, that's a, a, I mean, think about, you know, God has given a possession to his people. And here's this kind of third party that's coming and saying, you know, this is, give it up. This is my land. 
and it's not something that that third party ever um, was in possession of to begin to begin with. And so, verse twenty-four. What else does Jephthah say? He says, "Will you not possess whatever Chemosh your God gives you to possess? Your false god. So whatever the Lord our God takes possession of before us, we will possess." And that's really the lesson, and we'll look more at that in a few minutes. And what, what are some of the things that God has done for us? Well, we know Hebrews chapter 10, 14, verse 14, it says, For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. And that's the great work that God has done for us, our salvation. He's died on the cross for our sins that we might be reconciled to him. There are many other things that go along with that that accompany salvation, and we'll look at that in just a minute. But verse 25, And now, are you any better than uh, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever strive against Israel? Did he ever fight against them? While Israel dwelt at Heshbon and its villages in Aror and its villages and in all the cities along the banks of the Arnon for 300 years, why didn't you recover them within that time? Therefore, I have not sinned against you, but you wronged me by fighting against me. May the Lord, the judge, render judgment this day between the children of Israel and the people of Ammon. However, the king of the people of Ammon did not heed the words with which Jephthah uh, sent him. So facts can sometimes get in, in the way of things. And this pagan king, he's kind of stuck on his own um, narrative of the events that had happened hundreds of years ago, and he's using this false narrative to try to try to dispossess the people of God uh, from something that God has given them. And so Jephthah has tried diplomacy. He's okay, you know. We tried that, and now the Lord is ready to move. And verse twenty nine is a wonderful verse. It says, "A uh, wonderful." Verse, not worse, verse. Uh, then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah uh, of Gilead, and advanced toward the people of Ammon. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord, and this is the unfortunate verse here. If you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return peace from the people of Ammon shall surely be the Lord's. I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So Jephthah advanced toward the people of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands. And he defeated them from Aror as far as Minneth, 20 cities, and to Abel Karamim with a very great slaughter. Thus the, uh, the people of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. So the Spirit of God comes upon Jephthah and he's able to bring this great deliverance. He's able to deliver the people of God. And so there's this picture here that we see the enemy comes against the people of God with a false claim. And sometimes the devil tries to present a false version of who we are, maybe based on our past, our history in the attempt to hinder our present and future calling because God has stuff for us to do. 
right? As I mentioned earlier, Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship, and he's created good works for us to do that we should walk in them as we walk by faith. And the devil wants to do everything that he can to hinder us in stepping into the good things that God has for us. And, you know, if we're sharp and if we know the scriptures, we'll think in our, our minds when we hear something, wait a second, that's not right. That's not, you know, the, the truth of things. And we have to be sharp and we have to understand the scriptures like Jephthah. And, you know, like Jephthah, he has this logical argument. He knows because he knows the scripture and he knows the history of Israel, he's able to listen to what the king of Ammon is saying. He's like, wait a second, that doesn't sound right, and that doesn't sound right, and that doesn't sound right. And he gives the, the truth of, of the situation. And we see this wonderful victory. Now, Jephthah was a mighty man of valor. He was a fierce warrior and all that. But that's not what won this fight. What won the fight is that he stepped into the power of the Holy Spirit and he got the victory that way in the Old Testament. Now, Jesus promised in the New Testament, he promised the Holy Spirit, you shall, see, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in, Ju in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of of the, of the earth. There's this power that he's promised, which is the birthright of the New Testament believer. Now, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon people such as the judges episodically to do a specific thing, and that's what we see here with Jephthah. The Holy Spirit comes upon him. He was a strong man. He was a, a mighty man of valor, but that's not what won the fight. He decided that he and Israel on his behalf were going to possess the things that God had given them. In, in this particular case, it was land. But he realizes that the fight is bigger than himself, and it's not just a physical fight. It is a physical fight, but it's a physical fight with spiritual dimensions. And so the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. And you know, when we try to serve the Lord, there are things that we, um, maybe things that we want to do in our lives. Maybe we feel like he's pointing us in a particular direction. And I'll say this. I'll say that it's never about our personal abilities. It's never about our own power. You know, in the book of Zechariah, Zerubbabel and Joshua, they come back and they're tasked with this um, basically this task of rebuilding the temple and it's a pile of rubble and it seems like it's this incredible thing that they have to do and there's persecution coming against them and Zechariah gets, gives this word in the book of Zechariah. says, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And then he talks about the, the mountain becoming a level plain and the work of God going forth because the spirit of God is in the midst of that. And, you know, our own lives, what can we do? Can, can we really do anything? Jesus said that I am the vine, you are the branches. And apart from me, you can do nothing. 
so how do you how do you do something of eternal value? You know, we come into the world and we try to we figure out how to live life before we know the Lord. And how do you do how do you touch eternity with that? How do you touch a human life in a way that somehow they're going to experience something transcendent in terms of a relationship with the living God? We we can't do anything like that, you know. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians, who is sufficient for these things, how do we become the fragrance of Jesus Christ in this world? Is that you, that's nothing that you can manufacture. It's nothing that you can do, but it's something that God does in and through us. And so God wants to do those things in our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jephthah, it was the Holy Spirit that came upon him that allowed him to fight a, a physical battle but really there was a spiritual battle that was underneath and kind of like swirling around that. And because God, obviously, he has a, a plan for the land in the Old Testament. He has a plan for that physical piece of land. It was the land that the, you know, where Abraham re- received the promises. It was the land really that the Messiah, the savior of the world was going to be born into. God had a specific purpose for that land is where the crucifixion was going to happen and where the the price for sin was paid for. It was where the resurrection happened in that land. It was where the, the church was born and the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. So the devil is kind of coming against the land itself, really, trying to take over the land, knowing that there are these incredible purposes that have to do with the redemption of humanity that are going to happen within this this piece of land. And so that's the wonderful Old Testament picture. Um, I just want to talk a little bit in the New Testament context a little bit more. You know, we we are saved. I remember when I became a Christian, I had no idea what I was, the things that were going to happen. I mean, I remember the night that I got saved, I was in an apartment in Ocean City back in 1990, January, it was a cold winter's evening, and I, I knew what the gospel was, um, but that day, I surrendered my will. I call it a capitulation of my will to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and that's when I was born again, and I received the Holy Spirit. Just, I wasn't at a church service. I was just by myself, kind of washing dishes in the evening, and, and the Lord had been drawing me for really several years preceding that, and I just kind of quietly surrendered my heart. And I got filled with the Holy Spirit, and then my sister brought me to a Bible study, and I and it was just this incredible thing that started to unfold. And when I got saved that night, I think in my mind I was thinking, you know, I'm fully prepared to kind of um, surrender to a, bore, a boring religious life. I was prepared to live a boring religious life. I had been raised in the Catholic Church and all that, and kind of you know dead religion and that that sort of thing, but all of a sudden you realize that, wow, there's, there is a Holy Spirit of God that comes to live inside of you. And in John chapter 7, you know, Jesus is there at the Feast of Tabernacles. And the last and the greatest day of the feast, the feast which pointed to him, the scripture says that he's there and he cries out with a loud voice. He says, if any man thirst, if anyone is tired of like the polluted wells of the world, let him come to me and drink. 
and out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And then it says, this he spoke of the, the Holy Spirit who was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And we know on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts, you know, they were there in the upper room, gathered together, one accord, and all of a sudden, whew, I, I can't, I'm not good with sound effects at all, so I won't really try it, but the, the Holy Spirit falls in this room, and there's something that's bigger than themselves that they find themselves caught up in the, in the midst of. And, you know, that day in 1990, I was there by myself, and all of a sudden the Spirit of God comes into my life, and I begin to realize, like, wow, there's something bigger than me that's happening here, and there's something bigger than my life that God wants to do through my life. And so there's this work of the Spirit that begins, and the fruit of the Spirit is love. You begin to love people, and you begin to be less self-centered, and you begin to have a desire that others may come into a relationship with the true and the living God. And this whole work unfolds, and it's something that goes on. Hopefully, you know, the scripture says, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. There's this idea that God wants us to have an ongoing work, not just at the beginning of a salvation experience, but as we walk through the different seasons of life and as, you know, we find ourselves in um, ever more complex situations that are just, you know, they can be perplexing some of the things that we find ourselves in in, in life. And, you know, the last couple of years with COVID and, and whatever, but the spirit of God is with us. And, you know, the, the devil is going to come against us with this, oftentimes with a false, like, narrative where he's going to put doubt in our minds, like, no, you can't do that. You, that's not really, you know, you're not really qualified to do that or whatever. But what does the scripture say? Well, you know, I, faithful is he who has called you and he will also do it. So, there, you know, there are the, God's given us things that accompany salvation. His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. And... So there's a, a work that God wants to do in and through us. And, and we really are, you know, Jephthah was called into something that was bigger than who he was and bigger than his life and his past hurts and his family situation and whatever. And God's called us into something bigger than who we are. And, you know, exceedingly abundantly, now to him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could, all that we could ask, to him be glory in the church, now and forevermore, my, my paraphrase there. Um, so I guess w what I would say to you today, um, just to, you know, not to belabor it, but God has something that he wants to do in your life. And for me, I mean, I was a Christian for over 20 years before I went overseas, and then all of a sudden there was this kind of new thing that, that opened up, and I, I left my job and kind of the security that was involved in that. I worked for the, the state of New Jersey, and um, when I left that job, I was eight years away from a full retirement. Uh, so if you do the math, you know, but I have a really, really good retirement 
that's coming, you know, at the end of the day. And God's going to take care of all my needs, all your needs. Matthew 6, 33, I think, um, at the beginning of this journey, when I made the decision that I was going to quit my job and go, immediately Pastor Tony texted Matthew 6, 33, you know, something about consider the birds of the air, you know, do not worry about all these things. What are, what are we going to eat? What clothes are we going to put on? All that. God's been faithful. He really has. He's, he's provided for me in wonderful ways. And, you know, sometimes I, I remember, because I had become a British citizen for some, actually some years before I went out on the mission field. And I used to look at this passport and like, Lord, what would you want to do? And I always, I kind of had the security of the job and all that. And I was always a little bit hesitant, but you know, what finally got me was like, you know, what am I missing? And what might you want to do in and through my life if I were just to kind of go out on the water at your calling? I mean, we don't want to be presumptuous, right? But when God opens the door, even if it looks like pretty dicey, you know, he usually has something good. I remember um, I was years ago, I was at a missions conference and um, Dave Sylvester, who runs the Bible college in York. We work together. He was speaking at this conference and, you know, he was sharing about, he, he used to have a tiling business in, um, uh, I think Arizona and then California. And he's quite successful. He did well. He's very, um, very skilled at what he does. Everything. He was very focused and all that. And he was praying and he was getting ready to, you know, sell his business and get rid of everything and move to England back in like the early, early to mid nineties. And he felt the Lord speak to him, and the Lord said, you know, you don't have to go, and, and I'll still bless you. You know, I'll, I'll be with you, and you can, you know, do your tiling business, and you can lead worship and whatever. But if you do go, I'll bless you in another way. I'll bless you in a different sort of way. And you go there today, there's this, this church right outside of the city walls of York. York is a, um, a 2,000-year-old city, but there's still medieval walls around it and foundations of Roman walls and the church is like right across the street we have a coffee shop right on the city wall it's called gatehouse coffee it's a a 600 year old building and um god has done all these uh, the bible college and all that and just the blessing that god's brought into dave's life kind of through that step of faith and trusting in the lord and not that's not everybody's calling i mean it's not my calling to start something like that but it's my calling maybe to be helpful in what's going on over there and not all of us are, you know, everybody's got a different call and we have different gifts, but God wants to do something. If he's not, if, if you don't like perceive him doing something in your life and using you where, you know, you are being a light in the world, like Philippians, it says that we're um, lights in the world where we shine in the, in the midst of a, um, a crooked and perverse generation. And so God wants to, um, yeah, train of thought, you will. God wants to do something in your life. And I mean, you don't have to agonize over it, but seek him, maybe like skip a meal every now and then. And like, Lord, what do you want to do in my life? How do you want to use me? Your word says that I will receive power to be a witness in my Jerusalem. Jerusalem is kind of like the, the first, um, that's like the, the, the bullseye where you are right now. And then you get the concentric rings that represent, you know, Judea, Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. I mean, I don't know what God's will is in your life, but 
I know that he has a will in your life and that he has a good work to do in and through you. And it's something that you're not qualified to do. He's called you to do something that you're not qualified to do because it's a supernatural work. And that's the thing. You know, Paul talks about, you know, we had, when we came, is it Asia? I forget. But we had the sentence of death. You know, we were hard pressed. And we had the sentence of death upon us. So we would not trust in ourselves, but in Christ who raises the dead. He raises the dead, right? And he calls the things that are not as though they were. And... I mean, I'm not making this stuff up. It's in the Bible, right? And I've experienced it. I mean, I've seen God do stuff in my life that I, I mean, I, I, you know, I was working the graveyard shift at Acme and I was smoking pot and drinking beer and all that. And God just pulled me out of that. And his spirit just crashed into my life. And he redeemed me. And he started to do a work. And it's an ongoing you know, it's an ongoing thing. And he's taking us from strength to strength, faith to faith, glory to glory. And he has a good work for us to do. So, you know, don't miss it. Don't like agonize, like, oh my gosh, what's God's will? What's God's will? His will is to do the next right thing, but to seek his spirit and what might you want to do in my life if I, if I fully surrender to you. So Jephthah, you know, he was this guy just on the fringes of society. Um, circumstances beyond his control thrust out. And then on a day that he didn't expect, he was brought back in to do a work, to bless his people, to be used by God. And, you know, whatever your circumstance, God's got good stuff to do in and through you. So, Yeah, so whatever the Lord our God takes possession of before us, we will possess. So I just maybe close with that. Just, you know, possess the things that God has taken possession of on your behalf.